This represents the way that many of us experience life from time to time. This is what your gut feels like when you have anxiety. This is what my gut feels like right now. <laughs> Every time I stand up here, this is what my gut feels like. Most people experience anxiety from time to time in their life. When the right set of circumstances come along, whether you're a child or a teenager, young adult, meeting adult, senior adult, this is often what we feel like when we experience anxiety. In our mind, in our gut, we know what it's like to live with anxiety. It's something that's a part of our life. And it's not just you guys. Pastors experience anxiety too. I experience anxiety too. Like right now, <laughs> in this moment. It's a real part of our life. And yet, the reality is, uh, we don't like anxiety. It's not something that we want to have happen in our life, but we often experience it. And, and I know that for me, one of the very first verses I memorized in my Bible after I met Jesus as a teenager was Philippians 4. We're going to look at that in a second, 4, 6, and 7. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. There's more to it, and we'll talk about it in a minute. So I memorized that verse early on, and I've tried to live my life by that. But even knowing the truth of God's word doesn't eliminate the possibility that the reality is sometimes we experience anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety in our world right now. There's a lot of anxiety in this room. How do I know that? Because I get your prayer requests every week, and I read them, and I pray for you. And not just me, all of our pastors and ministers do that. And the, the resounding common theme of prayer requests over the last few months has been, I'm having anxiety. Not, don't know why, don't know what the cause of it is, but just pray for me, I'm experiencing anxiety. We live in this crazy world right now. If you just pay attention for a little bit, it's kind of an anxiety-causing world that we live in, right? And I mean, it's not just us. I read a report, a story actually uh, in Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago. They were talking about adolescents and what they've experienced through just the lockdowns and the social distancing and the being out of school and being in school online that we've experienced with the COVID, back, uh, the COVID pandemic and all that's gone on with that. And so what that's done to people, I, was, I heard an interview a couple weeks ago with a doctor, a medical doctor, who said he believes that the psyche of humanity has been damaged by the COVID pandemic and all the things that went along with it and are still going along with it. So I, I, that's probably true. I know from my parents, they lived through the Great Depression, my grandparents. That was something that definitely had an effect on the way they viewed life, on their psyche, a great world war or something like that. So many of you have had that experience. But for all of us, we've experienced this together, apart. <laughs> and it's had an effect on us, had an effect on how we look at the world. And anxiety, unfortunately, is a part of our world. So this morning, what I want to do in just the few minutes that we have together is I want to help unravel anxiety for you. I'm not a counselor or a therapist. I won't pretend to be one. They're wonderful people. And I would say to you, if you have extended anxiety or high anxiety in your life, that one of the best things you could do is sit down with a counselor, a licensed professional counselor, like we have over at Hope Road, just across the parking lot over here on Highway 259, and sit down with somebody who can help you unpack that, understand it, because part of unraveling it is, is truly understanding it. And I would encourage you to do that. I think it could be a great thing in your life. But today, I just want to talk to you and share with you as a fellow struggler, because I live this in my life. I have lived this in my life, and I still live this in my life from time to time, and that's just honest. I think all of us would say, if we're honest, we've been there. Maybe you're there today in some way or another. So I want to share with you just some discoveries that I've learned from doing ministry with people and helping people and things I've learned about my own level of anxiety and dealing with anxiety in my life 
um, just as a fellow struggler. So here's just some discoveries before we get to God's word this morning. That's obviously where I want to end up. But the first is this, that anxiety is a common human response. If you're here today and you're experiencing anxiety, you are not by yourself. And oftentimes when you're feeling anxiety, when you're feeling this in your head and your heart, when, you're, when this is what you're feeling, you think you're all alone. You think there's nobody in the world that could understand how you feel. And that is incredibly isolating. It causes you to think, if anybody knew how I was thinking right now or feeling right now, they'd think I was crazy. Sometimes my heart races and I don't know why. I feel crazy sometimes because of this knot in my stomach. Right? You're not alone. So in the first service, I didn't do this. The second service, I did. I'm going to ask you, if you've ever experienced anxiety of any kind, would you just raise your hand this morning? Just be honest, okay? I got my hand up too. Okay, look around. That's almost everybody. If you're watching online this morning, you can't see that. That's almost everybody in the room. So if you're experiencing anxiety, it's a common human response. It's what we do. It's not what God wants for us. The Bible's full of instructions against it. So God understands us. He made us. He knows that we're just flesh and blood. He knows us. But it is a common response. And I ask you that because I want you to know you're not crazy if you're experiencing anxiety. It's okay. Hopefully, you're going to get some help this morning with unraveling this that you can leave here in a real practical way that would help you go forward in your life dealing with anxiety. So that's the first thing. It's a common human response. The second thing is anxiety is a fear-based response. Everybody is afraid of something. You're probably not afraid of what I'm afraid of, and we're different in that way. But all of us have fears, and our fears lead to anxiety. Really what anxiety is about is it's about fear. Often when something bad happens in our life, loss of a job, diagnosis, something else, car wreck, who knows. We have something bad happen in our life, especially when it's unexpected. Our natural reaction is anxiousness. It's anxiety. It's worry. It's fear. It's a fear-based response. And our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. That means that our minds and our stomach, our minds and our body, they're intricately connected. So when your mind is thinking a certain thing, your body's going to react that way, just the way it works, right? So when you're thinking something that's fearful, a fearful belief or a fearful thought, your stomach's going to react, your body's going to react accordingly because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I've told you guys this many, many times. I've already alluded to it this morning. I never would have chosen what I'm doing right now in my life because I'm not comfortable. I'm more now than I ever have been, but for many, many years, I was not comfortable doing this. When I was a little kid, from the earliest time I can remember, if I had to give a book report at school and stand up in front of people and do that, man, I would pray that a tornado would hit our school when no one was there over the weekend and just wipe it out so it couldn't happen. I took zeros for several years before I'd get up and give a book report until I finally had a teacher who said, I'm not giving you a zero. You're going to get up here and do it. And I was like, man, my heart, physical heart, would beat so hard. And if you watch my shirt, you could see it. And I thought, it's going to blow up inside of me. This cannot go on. You know, it's going to break. And it would make me sick to my stomach. And I would think, why do I have to do this? I hate to get up in front of people. And I used to identify it this way. I'm afraid of public speaking. But the more I analyzed it and thought about it, the older I've gotten, I realized that's not really what I was afraid of at all. I was afraid of failing at public speaking. I was afraid of getting up in front of a bunch of people and making a fool of myself. I was afraid of humiliation. I was afraid of somebody laughing at me and rejecting me because I made a fool of myself. That's what I was really afraid of. And it helped to identify it, to really say, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm not afraid of just getting up and talking. I'm afraid of not doing a good job at it, failing at it. So 
When you think about anxiety in your life, there's something that you're afraid of that produces that. And it would be helpful in your life if you could identify what that is. And sometimes it helps to talk with people. Most times it helps to talk with people because often people who are objective can say, well, maybe it's, I think it sounds like it's this. And sometimes you get your eyes open and go, wow, I hadn't thought about that before. I'm too close to it to see it for what it really is. God doesn't want us to fear. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. In fact, 365 references in your Bible say, do not fear, do not be afraid, fear not. 365 times. Isn't that ironic that we have 365 days in our year? Kind of says that God knows that we need a reassurance that we're not to live our lives in fear. He doesn't want us to live our lives in fear. And anxiety is a fear-based response. Anxiety, number three, is mostly about the future. It's mostly about something that hadn't happened yet. We're afraid of something that hasn't happened yet. When I was in seminary, I took a course called Group Dynamics, and it was all about studying how groups of people come together throughout history and work together and form community together and move forward for a project or a task together. And for the case studies in the book, they use rock and roll bands, which I thought was very interesting. How, how bands form, how they came together, often how they split up and what the issues were that caused them to split up because they're little microcosms of groups and how they come together and form and all those kind of things. So several years ago, knowing that, I, was, I like to watch documentaries about rock and roll bands. It's just interesting to me to find out the history of some of these bands, how they came together, how they developed their talent, and all those kind of things. Well, a band that you guys are probably familiar with, the Eagles, high, you know, high popularity band in the 70s, Don Henley's from up the road here at Linden, Texas, and I'm not promoting them at all this morning. I'm just saying that I, I saw a documentary about them, and one of the things that I found so interesting about that documentary was their bass player, Randy Meisner, had one song that he sang, only one song. It's a song that went to number one. It's a song that was so popular that every time people came to the concert, they wanted him to sing this song. And so they would do their show. They'd go out, do an encore. When they came back for the encore, this would be the song that they would do. It's called Take It to the Limit. Don't Google it right now. You can Google it later, okay? But it's a song that he sang by himself, he alone. Now, he was a great harmonist and all that. He could harmonize and all that in the background. But this was the only song that he sang by himself. And if you remember that song, it is super high. It has a very high falsetto part in it near the end. I mean, crazy high. Well, Randy worked himself into a fear about not being able to hit that high note to the point that he came to the band and he said, I'm not singing that song anymore. And they were like, oh, yes, you are singing that song. People come to this concert and they want to hear that song. And you're the only one that can sing it. None of us can hit that high note. you got to do it. And he's like, I'm not doing it. I'm so afraid that when I get to that part where I have to go super high that my voice is going to break or crack or and I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to embarrass you guys as a band, and I cannot deal with that. The fear of something that hadn't even happened yet. Future fear. So basically, he left the band over. They kicked him out. He left. He was like, I can't do it anymore. He was part of one of the most successful bands in the history of music, and he left over that issue. And he will say to this day, that's why he left the band, because he freaked himself out about not being able to sing the song. The fear of failing in the future. And oftentimes, he's not that unusual, oftentimes that same sense of fear about something that hasn't happened yet in our lives has a way of gripping us. Like have you, maybe you don't do this, but like when I hear anybody sing the national anthem, I'm always like, are they going to hit that high note? Are they going to be able to do it? You know, and I mean, I'm at home watching on television, I'm feeling bad for them because I'm like, oh, they hit it, they nailed it, you know, because it's a tough one. It's a tough thing. And George Bush used to give speeches and I'd be at home going, I like George Bush, but I was like, man, just 
is he going to make it through this speech without something happening? You know, I mean, just, it just made me nervous for him, you know? So the reality is we know that those kind of fears in our life cause us to have anxiety in our lives. Oftentimes we forecast about the future based on something that's happened in the past. And oftentimes we, some of us have had trauma in our past. It's legitimate. And that trauma that happened to us in the past causes us to forecast negative thinking about the future and to kind of catastrophize what's coming next. We don't even know what's coming next, but we tend to think it's going to be bad. And that lends itself to anxiety. Jesus said this about the future. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough care of its own. And that's easier to say than to do, maybe, but the reality is I want you to see that Jesus doesn't want us to live our lives in a constant state of anxiety. Now, here's the fourth discovery. Anxiety is a response to rational and irrational beliefs. So here's an example of an irrational belief. If I said to you today, the world will end tomorrow at 9 a.m., there's no rational reason to believe that. I have no evidence of that. I would just appear to say that. When I was in junior high, kids used to say, it, the world's going to end tomorrow at 2 o'clock. I was like, before school's out? I mean, really? And I would think about it for a split second and go, what if it did? What if it did end tomorrow? And it would just, you know, cause a little fear. And so that's an irrational fear. Irrational fear is not, there's no reason to believe it. There's no evidence for it. There's no, there's no reason to believe it. But you can also have anxiety because of a rational fear in your life, like your wife has cancer. That's real. That's proven. That's medically proven. The doctor said that. He's an expert. He took the test. They did all the tests and everything. That's a rational fear. It still creates anxiety. So why do I need to know the difference? Because helping you know the difference is, is a way to help you deal with it. If you, if you believe irrational things, then sometimes demystifying those things, matching those things to truth helps you deal with the anxiety that's caused by them. And rational fear, honestly, you have to take that apart and look at it too to be able to deal with it. So here's the fifth place, the fifth discovery, and here's where I want to land this morning and pull over here, and that's anxiety is the opposite of what God wants for us. God doesn't want anxiety for us. And there's three things that the Bible makes very clear that he does want for us that basically are opposites of anxiety. So I want to help you with that this morning from the Bible to understand what God has said. That's why you're here, right, to hear what God says and to hear what his word says. So the first thing that I know God wants for us is peace. That's the opposite of anxiety. And here's how I know that, because Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which I mentioned a second ago, says don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This passage makes it abundantly clear that God doesn't want you to live with anxiety. And he's given you a way to deal with it, prayer. The way to peace is through prayer. He says, don't worry about it, pray about it. Because here's what prayer does. Prayer reminds you, when you come to pray about something, especially that you're upset about, that you're anxious about, when you come to pray about it and you stop and you steal yourself before God and you go before the Lord, it reminds you of who he is. As you know him more and more, it reminds you of how great he is, how good he is. And that has a, a peace-producing effect on your life because you remember and you start to focus on him and who he is, and it brings a sense of peace into your life. And then it, when you pray, it reminds you that you have very little control, and he has total control. Do you believe that about God? Do you believe there's anyone in control of God? There's not. He's sovereign. He's above all. There's no one above him. So he is... 
he exercises as much control in any minute, any given situation as he wants to exercise. He is free. He is completely sovereign. That means that in your situation, whatever it is that's causing you fear and anxiety, he is in total control of it. And as you realize that, as you pray and petition him, as you ask him for help, you realize again that he's in control. And it may or may not work out exactly the way you want it to. I mean, I'm still standing up here. <laughs> this was not my idea, right? But I know that he's with me. And I know he gives me the strength to do what he calls me to do. And so, yeah, I've learned, just like you have, I'm sure, before now, that as you trust in him, as you lean on him, he speaks and he demonstrates his control. And the third thing that it does when you pray is it reminds you of God's promises because there's a great promise here. He says that when you pray, instead of being anxious, that his peace, his peace which passes all understanding, he says, will do something really cool in your life. It will guard your heart and your mind. Pretty cool picture when you think about it because a guard protects something. And what he's saying is his peace will protect you. It will protect your heart and your mind from this. <laughs> and I don't like this. Most people don't. Most people don't like to feel like this. And they do all kinds of crazy things to not feel like this when they have these issues going on in their life. And he says, when you pray, the peace of God will actually protect you. This is what Jesus told his disciples in John 14, verse 1 and 27. And this is the passage from chapter 13 to 17 when he was with them the last night as he shared truth with them. They knew he was about to leave. They didn't fully understand what was going on. But this is what he says to them. Don't let your heart be troubled. Their hearts were troubled. They were worried. They were anxious. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Then in verse 27 later, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. The Holy Spirit bears fruit in our life. And the Bible says love, joy, peace. I mean, God has demonstrated over and over and over again that he wants us to have peace. The Bible says those who keep their mind on God will, will live in peace. So God wants us to have peace, which is the opposite of that. He doesn't want us to live with anxiety. We do from time to time, but that's not what he wants for us. What he wants for us is to experience his peace in our lives. And so these passages and many others help us understand how to unravel anxiety. The second thing that God wants for us is rest, real rest. Uh, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that God created the creation in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Did he need to rest? No. I think he rested to demonstrate to us that we need to rest. Because he says clearly in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. Then verse 11 says, for the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that's in them in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. You know what Sabbath means? It means literally cease from working. Do you practice that in your life? You say, well, you're not at work. I'm at work right now. I mean, but you're not at work right now. But are you working? Because oftentimes you cannot physically be at your work, but your mind can still be thinking about work. My wife will have start a conversation with me, and then she'll stop me and go, you're not listening to me. Oh, caught me. Okay, what were you thinking about? Church. I knew it. I knew it. For you, it may be something else. Maybe you're the owner of your business or you're the leader in your business and you're thinking about it all the time. What's the next step? What's the next thing I have to do? And work is great. We talk, Brian did a great sermon a while back on work and rest, and he talked a lot about this. Work is great, but rest is essential. I mean, God says you work six days, but that seventh day you stop working. 
mentally, you stop working. You pull away from it. And when you do that, you create space, you create openness, you create an opportunity for greater intimacy with God. Now, some of you on your day off, you go do your favorite hobby, and that can be a very restorative thing in your life. But that alone is not enough. It's not a bad thing, necessarily, but it's not enough because the rest God's talking about is rest where you focus on him because you're not working. And so some of us really need help with this because we tend to think about stuff all the time related to our work. And we don't ever just take a break, just a pause to go, I need to rest. God made me to rest. I mentioned a second ago that some people really struggle with setting aside feelings of anxiety. And I would say to you that if If that's you and you're tempted, some people deal with their anxiety in very unhealthy ways. They turn to drugs or alcohol, non-prescription drugs, or they abuse prescription drugs because what they're trying to do is tamp that down. They're trying to self-medicate, basically. And they cannot handle the anxiety, so they try to take something to stop it. And there are wonderful medications that your doctor can prescribe to you to help you with that. And I tell people sometimes when they're struggling with anxiety because once you begin to feel the anxiety, you begin to think incorrectly about stuff. It has an effect on your view, your worldview. So I tell people, go get some medicine. That's your doctor's you know, prescription because when you do that, it can change the way you feel, which can allow you then to think clearly again because it's a cycle. And oftentimes, people that experience anxiety also experience depression. They go hand in hand oftentimes because it is so isolating, because you feel like you're going crazy. You can be a room full of happy people and think, I am so crazy right now. <laughs> If anybody knew what was going on inside of me, they would totally reject me. So it can be, even in a room of people, it can be very isolating. And we don't generally talk about those things. We don't share those things. But God wants you to be free from that. He wants you to have rest. So if you need to see your doctor, see your doctor. Because it can be something that if you don't take care of it, it can have a great physiological effect on you. One of my best friends, Mark Dance, has been a pastor for many, many years. He and I were roommates in college, best friends, best men at each other's weddings. Um, hopefully I, he'll get to come preach here for you one of these days. I hope so. He lives up in Oklahoma now, but Mark, uh, for many years, was a senior pastor. And about 10 years ago, because his church was in a relocation process, and they were, you know, it was a very, very big task to move a church from one location to the next, and his daughter was a teenager. She was rebelling at the time. There's a lot of stuff going on in his life, and he was working constantly. And he, he fell into, sort of spiraled into a dark depression. That's not an unfamiliar story to us. But he's a pastor. He's a lead pastor. He's getting up and doing what I do here with you guys today. And yet, he's struggling with depression. His staff kind of turned away from him through that because they couldn't understand. He hadn't told them what was going on. All they saw was he's never here. And when he's here, he's disengaged. He didn't come out and say, hey, I'm depressed. I'm having a lot of anxiety and I'm depressed about it. No. But because he never rested... That was just something that was happening in his life, and his body. So Mark came out of that eventually, and he wrote a book about Sabbath rest. And he shares that with pastors all the time. You need a rest, but it's not just for pastors. It's for every one of us. We all need rest in our lives, and God desires that for us. He desires for us to have a Sabbath in our lives. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Is that the picture you have of Jesus? He wants you to have rest. Have you ever just rested, been at the lake or something, or just been laying out somewhere and just relaxing and just go, man, this is nice. I can just breathe. I don't feel anxious about anything. That's what he's talking about, that sense of rest. That's what the Lord wants for you, and it's part of unraveling anxiety is learning how to put that rhythm into your life. 
And so we talked about peace. We talked about rest. The third thing that God wants for you that's abundantly clear in the scripture is trust. We, we talk about trust all the time. You go back to the Garden of Eden and the thing that Eve struggled with was trusting that God was as good as he appeared to be because the serpent came to her and lied to her and said, oh, he said you can't eat of any of the trees. She goes, no, we can eat of all the trees, just not this one. He goes, well, the reason he doesn't want you to eat that one is he knows when you eat of it, you'll be just like him. You'll be equal to him. And he wants to keep you under, under his thumb. He don't want you to be equal to him. He wants you to be submissive to him. And so she was like, hmm, I think I'd like to be like God. Maybe he's holding out on me. She began to distrust God. And that's all of our problem. <laughs> we all tend to do that. When we're going through something hard, we tend to pull away. When something bad happens in our life, we tend to go, why would you let this happen? We distrust so quickly. And, and God is a God you can trust. All the way through Scripture, you see this theme, but especially in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where he says, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. That's a promise, too. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's a theme that runs throughout your Bible. Paul said it this way, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by trust, not by sight. He said, without faith, the writer of Hebrews said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't do it. He said in Ephesians that how we extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy is that we take up our shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy. So we, we have an enemy, just to remind you this morning, sometimes the enemy is the cause of our anxiety and he attacks us. And so the way that we defeat him is we take up our shield of trust. We keep our trust in God, even when the evidence on the ground may suggest to us that things aren't going that well. Trust is a super, super important part of unraveling anxiety in your life because you have to trust God's control when you realize you have very little. And maybe the thing that you're afraid of, you just have to trust God with that. For me, preaching and speaking, I just had to say, God, you've called me to this and I have no idea how you're gonna pull this off in my life. No idea at all, but I just have to trust you. And you know what? God's faithful. He just takes you a step at a time. He doesn't throw you in the deep end. He just takes you a step at a time and shows you how to walk with him and trust him through it. So before we go this morning, I want to give you just a three-step strategy, just real quick. Because I'd be, I think it'd be wrong for me to just get up here and talk about anxiety and not tell you how to deal with it. So here's some very practical things you can do to deal with it in your life. And this can be a helpful thing for you or somebody you know. A guy came up to me after the second service. He goes, my daughter really needs this. I, I sent, I'm going to go and send her this link to the sermon so she can hear it. I took some notes this morning. So that's, that's what this is for, is to help people. So the first part of the strategy is this. Focus on how you're thinking instead of how you're feeling. Maybe you're a person who deals with anxiety a lot, and you wake up in the morning and you go, how do I feel? Is there anxiety there? Is there that? You know, am I feeling anxiety this morning? Or you start to feel anxiety and you start to go, uh-oh. Uh-oh, here it comes. Because what we can do oftentimes is make a monster out of anxiety. And we feed it and we give it so much power in our lives that we avoid it at all costs. Stay away from anxiety. And the reality is what you need to ask yourself when you begin to experience those feelings is, what am I thinking right now? How am I thinking? How am I, what am I believing right now? We talked about those rational versus irrational beliefs. It's helpful. And what I would encourage you to do is write those down and share them with a trusted friend, pastor, mentor, counselor, because when you just getting them out of your head and getting them on paper and sharing them with someone else, oftentimes bringing the light of day into that causes them to be demystified. And you hear somebody else objectively go, you know what? I don't see that in you at all. I don't think that about you at all. I don't think that's true for you. We need other people to speak into our lives. That's healthy. And the reality is if we don't do that, we tend to internalize all of it and 
even help Satan accuse us. We go, I'm such a loser for feeling like this. And that's Satan because he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one who wants to beat us up and hold us down and repeat this cycle of shame in our lives. You're a bad person. You're a loser. You're a terrible person. All that stuff. That's not from God. You don't find God saying that anywhere in his word to people. God wants you to have peace and rest, and he wants you to trust him. And so that's what we have to do. We have to focus on our thinking, not on our feeling necessarily. And so it's really helpful to do that. I would encourage you to do that. Write those things down. Share them. Get them out of the place of secrecy because the Lord can use them when they're, when they're brought out into the light. And secrecy is often where Satan creates shame in our life. The second thing in the strategy is this. Calendar extended time alone with God. Now, that's all very important. Calendaring it and giving God extended amounts of time. You may have never done that in your life. I talk about this in a lot of different contexts. It's the best thing you can do for your life spiritually, but it will certainly help with the thing that you're afraid of, the anxiety that you feel in your life. Because when you give God an extended amount of time, you just calendar an extended amount of time. What am I talking about? Like on a Saturday afternoon or this Sunday afternoon, go, go give God two hours. Turn off everything, get your Bible, and have FaceTime with God. A lot of us are just talking to God on the fly, if we do at all. Like I'm in the shower, I pray in the shower, or I pray when I'm driving somewhere on the way to somewhere else, you know. Just think about that any other relationship you have. Take your relationship with your spouse. Honey, can you come in here? I want to talk to you. I'm going to take a shower while I talk to you. Honey, um, I'm going to call. I don't have time to talk to you right now, but on the way to work today, I'm going to call you and talk to you all the way to work. I don't know about you at your house. That would not work in my relationship. What we have to do is sit across from each other, turn everything off, look at each other, and try to understand how to communicate with each other in some way. That's what we have to do at my house. And we often don't succeed in that way, but we try, you know, because we're very different people. So if I said to her, hey, I'm going to talk to you while I'm taking a shower or while I'm mowing the yard or something else, that doesn't lend itself to intimacy. Not really. And in your relationship with God, it doesn't either. You guys listen to podcasts or you you know, you turn this thing on for two minutes, you read a devotional for two minutes, or you have somebody read, Siri reads the Bible to you for a couple of minutes. Those aren't terrible things, but they're not enough. They're not enough to combat the anxiety that our world brings into our life, the fears that we have, and they're certainly not enough to grow spiritually. And you wonder sometimes why you're a pygmy spiritually, why you can't move on beyond this, because you're unwilling to just sit before the Lord for a couple of three hours, and that's not a magical number. Just pick something that you're uncomfortable with. Give him four hours. I don't know. Boom, just me and you, God. Any hobby that you have in your life takes hours of your time. So your relationship with God, I think you might say, is the most important relationship in your life. Maybe you would say that. And if it is, give him some extended amount of time. Because when you do that, in the stillness and quietness of those moments, that's when he builds your trust. And that's the third thing I would say. Commit to trusting God's character regardless of how you feel. Because you may have to you may have to work through some anxious feelings to say, I'm still going to trust you, God, even though I don't feel it. I don't feel you here, God. Well, God's not a feeling, so that's okay. You don't have to feel him. He's real. <laughs> he's here. He's here right now. I don't feel him, but I know he's here because he promises to be here. I know he knows every detail of my life. I know he has the hairs on my head numbered, not because I feel that, but because the Bible says it's true. So my faith, I trust in his character. And I told you guys during, your, during the thing we did on the names of God, if you were here to, to begin to write those things down and create a, a, a written description of God's character based on his word, not, not based on your ideas, but based on God's word, how he's revealed himself 
Because when you do that, it builds your trust in him. It's easier to trust him when you know him personally. I mean, that works. And then when you encounter some of this, it's not, it's not lasting, it's fleeting. Yeah, I get anxious sometimes. I feel anxiety sometimes. And then I go, wait a minute, who's God? How am I thinking right now? What am I believing right now? Who's God? And when I realize again who God is, when I have to be reminded of that pretty often, then it creates those things in my life, peace and rest and trust. And those things don't coexist with anxiety. They just don't. So this morning, I'm not trying to give you a simple answer. I'm saying if you struggle, if you have extended periods of anxiety in your life or even high anxiety in your life for some reason, talk to someone about it. Don't be shamed. Don't let Satan keep you in that shame cycle. Talk to somebody about it. Get it out. Write it. Talk to someone. See a counselor. See a friend. See a pastor. See your connect group leader. Whoever. But just get it out and talk about it. And then talk about how you can, what you can do to deepen your trust in God. And there's nothing greater you can do to deepen your trust, in my opinion, than spending extended amounts of time with him. You see, everything about our relationship with God goes back to the idea of trust. Those of you who are Christians, that's how it started for you. You came to the place where you said, I know I'm a sinful person. The Bible says all, all sin and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And I remember the day that I put my trust in Jesus Christ and said, I can't save myself. I can't go to heaven on my own. I can't have access to God. There's no other way. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one on on this planet, no one in this country, no one in a foreign country, no one anywhere can get to God unless they come through me. That's what Jesus said. That's extremely exclusive. But that's what the guy that I follow teaches. And that's the truth. So there's not a bunch of different roads up the same mountain. There's only one. Jesus Christ is the only way. And for many of you, you remember the day that you decided to put your trust in him because you believe that. And you're a believer and you're gonna to go to heaven when you die, and you have a relationship with God now that gives you all these wonderful benefits, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to confirm and reinforce truth in your life and guide you, and that's a beautiful thing. But there's some of you here who have never taken that step and made that decision. The Bible says there's, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Just one, Jesus, very exclusive. So if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you, you don't have the hope of heaven. Your future looks very bleak and dark, but it can change today. You have a decision to make. You have a choice. And this morning, you could choose to put your trust in Jesus Christ and change every bit of that. And you don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. You can't. It's a gift. You have to receive it. And this morning, I want to give you a chance to do that. I was 15, almost 16. Somebody explained that to me, and it sounded too good to be true. It's not. Jesus Christ is real. He died on the cross to take the penalty for your sin and to make you right with God forever. You can't mess it up. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so this morning, what I want to do is give you the chance to do that. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're a believer already, I'm going to ask you to pray for the people that are here around you this morning. And if you're not a believer yet, then this morning, can I just invite you to come to Jesus? Can I invite you to put your trust in Jesus? It's the greatest decision that you will ever make. He will come into your life. He will save you. He will give you his Holy Spirit. He will guarantee you that you're going to be with him for eternity. That's a great offer, the best offer anyone's ever going to make to you. If you walk out of here today and you don't receive Christ, you have no excuse. You've heard the gospel and you've chosen against God. This morning, you have a chance to do something eternal. 
Whether you're here or watching online, I want to leave you through what the Bible says is called calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you call on him because you believe he can save you. You believe he's the savior of the world. This morning, if that's you, I want to ask you just to raise your hand wherever you are. I want Jesus to be my savior. People in this room would be so excited for you because most of them are already believers. I want Jesus to be my savior. That's me. And I'm not going to embarrass you, make you do some weird thing or anything. I'm just going to lead you through a time of calling on the name of the Lord. Those of you who have your hands up, those who are watching online and you want to receive Christ this morning, just say this to God. It's a prayer. It's a way to say, I, I believe in you. Just say this. You can use your own words or repeat after me. Just say, dear God in heaven, I want to be saved this morning. I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry I've sinned against you. And I don't, I don't want sin anymore. I don't want to be a sinful person that lives in sin. I'm, I'm done with that. I want Jesus. I want to be saved. I thank you for sending Jesus for me. God, help me now to live in a way that honors you. Thank you for this relationship. Thank you for salvation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.